Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. I thought I'd start with a little article that was in the Wall Street Journal on the Saturday, Sunday edition. It's written by the Bishop Robert Barron of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Winona, Rochester, Minnesota. And he says, the central message of Christmas is that God became a baby. The omnipotent creator, the source of infinite, of finite existence, the reason there is something rather than nothing, became an infant too weak even to raise his head. I'm sure that everyone around the Christ child's crib did what people always do around babies, smile and coo and make funny noises. For the entire history of Israel, God was endeavoring to attract his chosen people to himself and draw them into deeper communion with one another. Yet a sad and consistent theme of the Old Testament is that despite the Lord's efforts and institutions, Israel remained alienated from God. The Torah ignored, covenants broken, commandments disobeyed, the temple corrupted. In the fullness of time, then, God determined not to intimidate or order us from on high, but rather to become a baby. At Christmas, the human race no longer looked up to see the face of God, but down into the face of a little child. Once we understand this essential dynamic of Christmas, the spiritual life opens in a fresh way. Where do we find the God we seek? We do so most clearly in the faces of the vulnerable, the poor, the helpless, the childlike. It's relatively easy to resist the demands of the self-sufficient. It's decidedly less so for the lowly, the needy, and the weak. They draw us, as a baby does, out of self-preoccupation and into the space of real love. I'd like you to think about that for a minute as you think about how to express your Christmas faith today. Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So how we treat others, including the least of these, is how we're treating the Lord. I want you to think with me a little bit about what happened to Mary when she was told she was going to bear the Son of God. And there are, I think, at least three incredible things in the account that grab our attention. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, we live in a a skeptical age, don't we? When there's uh, a lot of public declarations of atheism, um, not too much public declarations of tangible, concrete faith in God. When a lot of people think that God does not act in the world, and or if there is a God at all, he just set, uh, created things and set them moving. And uh, there's a lot of unbelief. And people hear the virgin birth story and they think, oh, that's a nice fairy tale. Uh, they, that's how they lump that in their minds. Uh, Christmas is a fairy tale like the ancient Greek and, and uh, uh, Egyptian myths. Uh, but if you think about this account, there are actually... Four things in here that are incredible because they're supernatural. Not just the virgin birth. First of all, the angel. Angels are supernatural beings, right? And so right away, you you start off on a supernatural footing in this account. The angel Gabriel is the messenger of God, the one that in the Old Testament comes to Daniel and brings him news about the vast scope of human history leading up to Messiah's coming and even to the end of the age when the Lord returns. And Gabriel is a chief messenger of God to bring him that news. Earlier, Elizabeth, when she got pregnant, now there's a second miracle. Elizabeth was an elderly lady. We don't really know how old she was, but she was past childbearing years. She'd been barren her whole life. And she was well into, uh, way, way past menopause, if I could put it that way. All right, there were no babies coming for that woman. And she and her husband, Zechariah, had given up hope. And Gabriel comes to Zechariah while he's in his service to, in the temple and appears to him when he's in there to offer prayers and incense and tells him, your wife is going to get pregnant and you're going to have a son and this son is going to be the one who is a prophet to prepare the way for the Messiah. I'm paraphrasing a bit here. That's what he tells him. And Zechariah doesn't believe him. He's like, what the heck? This is impossible. And Gabriel says, what do you mean it's impossible? I stand in the very presence of God and he told me to tell you this. And because you haven't believed it, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. And that's exactly what happened. So Gabriel was the angel who stood in the very presence of God, his messenger, who had brought hugely important news to the human race a couple of times. And now he's standing with Mary. And what he said about Elizabeth giving birth was in process of happening. She had already conceived. So there's your second impossible thing. An angel shows up, an elderly lady, barren in past childbearing years, is pregnant. Then the announcement to Mary, you're going to give birth, and it's not be because of your connection to any human man. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And so the one who is born to you will be called the Son of God. You'll be conceived, this baby, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third incredible thing in the, the account. Now, the fourth incredible thing, and there's others that you could read in here, but I want you to hear what the, Gabriel says about this baby, what he's going to become. He will reign, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Mary and Joseph were both descendants of David. So Jesus' ancestry goes back to King David, whom God had promised, one of your children will sit on your throne forever. One of your descendants, one of your offspring. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So there's your fourth impossible thing. A king who reigns forever, whose kingdom will never end. Impossible for us. Impossible for mere human beings. I mean, what man can make himself live past 115, 120 if he lived really well? Maybe 130? Oldest living human being in, in living memory not, never gets past that. Nobody can make themselves live forever. Now, I want to kind of take this in reverse as we reflect on not just the virgin birth, but all these impossible things. You know that Christianity today is the largest religion by population in the whole world. About 31% of the earth's population follows Jesus as their king and believes in him and is, are his followers. 31%, almost 3 billion people around the whole world. What other king, not a Jewish king, any king, has had a kingdom that lasts more than 60, 70 years? Right? Wasn't Queen Elizabeth II the longest living monarch? 70 years, right? And we think that's really amazing, but Jesus is still being proclaimed king and worshipped and served as the Son of God 2,000 years later. So if you thought the first thing that Gabriel said, you're going to give birth and have a son, and it's not going to be because of anything but the Holy Spirit coming on you, was incredible. Look at the incredible thing that's been fulfilled. A kingdom that has begun and will never end. In fact, Daniel, when he is um, interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the beginning of the book of Daniel, maybe you remember the great dream Nebuchadnezzar had where he saw this huge statue and it had all these layers, gold and silver and bronze and then iron mixed with clay. And he doesn't know what it means and he um, asks his diviners and sorcerers and, and um, um, fortune tellers, wise men, to explain what, what he dreamed and what, he, what it meant. And none of them could do it. None of, they all said, you've got to tell us your dream, then we'll tell you what it means. And he said, no, no, no. You tell me both my dream and what it means, and then I'll know you're really speaking on behalf of the gods. And when they can't do it, and he says, I'm going to kill you all because you're all fakes. And Daniel comes and he says, give me a chance and I will pray to the God of heaven and he'll tell you what your dream means. And so that's what he does. Nebuchadnezzar gives him a little time. Daniel prays. He asks his friends to pray with him. They seek God and God gives him the dream and what it means. And he says, this is the meaning of the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar. That statue represents all these great kingdoms of the earth that are going to come. And you're the first that had a gold 
Then there'll come one after you of lesser quality, silver. One after you of lesser quality, still bronze. And then another one after that, a fourth kingdom of iron mixed with clay. And it won't be a kingdom that can stick together. It'll always be breaking apart as the people are opposed to each other. But during the time of that kingdom, there will be a rock, because that's the other thing he saw in his dream. He saw a rock cut out, but not by human hands. Now remember, this is Gabriel telling. No, I'm sorry. Gabriel comes later. This is the revelation that Daniel got. That rock hit the statue and the feet of clay, the legs of iron mixed with clay, the, the waist and the chest and the head all crumbled and turned to dust and blew away. Then the rock grew into a mountain and the mountain filled and became everything. And Daniel said, those four kingdoms that you see, those earthly kingdoms of humanity that are going to come and go are going to be finally cast aside and done away with as this last kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, comes in and fills the earth, whole earth and lasts forever. Now, if you read even a little bit of Jesus' preaching, you know that when he arrived, he said the kingdom of God has come with himself when he came on the scene. The kingdom of God has come. When we put our faith in Jesus and we are adopted into the family of God, we become part of that eternal kingdom that will never pass away. So if we take it in reverse and we think of that last incredible thing, that this king will be one who reigns forever and this kingdom will never end. We, 2,000 years later, are seeing the concrete evidence of that. A kingdom that has grown from tiny, humble beginnings, maybe 120 core committed followers on the day of Pentecost. Soon 3,000, 5,000, soon tens of thousands. And as it keeps growing around the world, thousands upon hundreds of thousands, upon millions and now billions of citizens of the kingdom that lasts forever, that will last forever, are on this planet. Amen? So, we see the fourth incredible thing has begun to take place. And we think of that second incredible thing, Elizabeth being pregnant. You know, John, when he showed up, when he was finally born, and Zechariah wrote on the tablet, He's named John, which is what the angel told him that baby should be called. Then he could speak and he praised God. And he gave glory to God that he had prepared salvation for the whole earth in the sight of all people. And that his son was going to prepare the way for that Savior. You know what John did is he went around and he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He called people who called themselves the people of God who thought of themselves as believers and worshipers of God to get real with their spiritual life, to stop pretending and actually do what's right, to make things right with God and with each other as a sign that they changed their mind from just assuming they were connected to God to actually living as people truly connected to God. And the people who responded to his message who looked at their hearts and knew, look, look, I'm a mess. I need to be forgiven. I've got sins. I've been living wrong. I've been living to hurt people. I've been living selfishly. And I need to stop. And I want that stuff to be washed out of me. I don't want it to be the defining stuff of my life anymore. They responded to John. 
They went to the river and got baptized. They came out excited and ready because John said, I'm not the full message. I came to prepare you for one who's coming after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He is the one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that you should finally be following. You know, it says that the people who responded to the message of John the Baptist were ready for Jesus when he came on the scene. And they recognized Jesus for who he was, as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the King, the Messiah. And they put their faith in him. It was the ones who rejected John's message, who were self-satisfied with their own religiosity, with their own self-righteousness, who looked down on him because he looked goofy, he had camel's hair and he ate locusts. How many of you eat locusts? Anybody? It's not a popular diet thing. They thought he was strange, right? And they didn't want to go out and give up their finery and share things with others. And they could not recognize Jesus, even though he was right in their midst doing incredible, miraculous things among them every day when he started his ministry. So that second incredible thing, the arrival of this prophet to prepare the way for Jesus, fulfilling the promise of a child to an elderly lady well past childbearing years. And think of that first incredible thing, an angel showing up. How many of you have experienced angels? So who has a family member who's experienced an angelic visit? You want to tell us what they were? So it's not just coming from me. Can you stand up and tell what happened to your dad and mom? Yeah, I'm going to give you the mic so if anybody's online, they can hear you. There we go. Yeah, thanks for the instant testimony. From, um, from my house to Lancaster, uh, they they had gotten lost or something in the highway and... Uh, it was in the winter, and they, as mom, as I recall, that mom said that they were kind of stuck in the highway. This is when my father started to have some um, problems with his dementia, and so he was not able to remember where he was. And then it was, uh, I guess, it was snowy and whatnot. So they were driving in the highway. There was nobody there, and they got uh, they got a flat tire. And when they got a flat tire, Papi uh, obviously had to pull over. My mom is really scared. This is all happening in the dark and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, this jeep pulls up from uh, behind them. And this gentleman in what my mom describes had um, military attire, he comes up and he tells my parents, uh, you know, sir, can I, can I help you to my father? And can I, may I help be of service? And he says, yes, I have a flat tire. And the gentleman says, here, have a, a flashlight. Why don't you hold it, and I'll take care of it. So he took care of the, of the, um, of the flat tire. And then uh, he said, I'll stay here until you guys get back in, and I'll make sure that it's pretty clear. And so when he said, just don't look back. And my mom found this super strange, but she said she felt a lot of peace about the whole thing. So they get in, and when they look back, there was nobody there. Um, and my mom knew that she was helped by an angel there. Thank you, Lord God. If there is no God, well, we really don't know what's out there and beyond the realm that we can see, right? We, we don't know whether there's 
things in the invisible realm that are way beyond us because we can't see them. Um, if there is a God, which is what makes sense, as this bishop said, of why there's anything instead of nothing, um, and why the, the anything that there is is so full of order and this law-like regularity that makes our existence possible um, after some 12 billion years of um, cosmic development, 12 to 18 billion years, depending on what time scale you look at for how old the universe is. Uh, if there is a God who made things, couldn't he make other creatures too that aren't necessarily visible to us, right? I mean, that's what Gabriel told Mary. No word from God will fail. And what he told Zechariah, nothing is impossible with God. Uh, I've experienced angels, though I'm not sure whether I've seen them. Uh, I can remember it once when I was in Africa with, as a seminary student preaching somewhere in Kenya. And they asked all students to go around different villages and preach just to get a chance to do it. And there was a big crowd of, of, uh, of folks there from the village, and they were native, I think, Swahili speakers. So I had to have a translator. And... You know, I'm like in my 20s. I'm kind of quavering. I'm in front of a strange crowd of people. Um, I can just remember as, as I prayed, God giving me a sense that there were two big angels standing behind me and I was going to be fine. And with that, the peace of God came on me and I preached the gospel. And the guy translated. And it was really cool. It was wonderful, actually, um, the peace that came upon me as I, as I did that. Uh, I'll tell you one more story that has a bigger uh, ramification that I've told some of you before, but if you're new here, you may not have heard it. Uh, there was a Messianic Jew by the name of Stephen Lytle who, back in the 70s and 80s, was really seeking God in a special way. Um, he had sort of like the people who come, came to John the Baptist, he was realizing that his spiritual life was phony. And that he was a mess and he was living the wrong way. And he decided he was so sick of himself and his corrupt heart that he was going to seek God to change him. And um, if he didn't change him, he just wanted to die. He was so sick of himself. And so he went to a hotel to seek God. And what, he was just in there praying and fasting and asking God to change his heart. And he, he said after a certain period of time in that hotel room, he he entered some type of spiritual state where he saw an angel in the room. And, you know, when, when we see angels, what do you picture? Do you picture that little cherub guy flying around with his bow with a little ribbon floating behind him? You know, sometimes our view of what angels is is colored by art we've seen and, and so on. But he said this was clearly a warrior angel, and he was huge. He was way bigger than the room that I was in. He was like 18 feet tall. But because I was in the spirit, I could see him through the walls. And he, was, he had a huge sword at his side. And he, um, he was so, he was like, uh, how can I describe this? It was like the room was crooked, but he was straight. Because he was seeing sort of into the, the spirit realm um, to bigger realities than the physical realm. And 
he had a, a visit from Jesus at that time. And Jesus said, came to change his heart. He said, you don't need your heart to be reformed. You need a new heart. You need a totally new heart. You can't reform your heart. You need a new one. And that's what Jesus came to do. Give us new hearts. And then he said, I've got a mission for you. And as uh, this guy, Stephen, is seeing this angel, a friend comes in. And the friend also sees it. And Stephen asks him, do you see what I'm seeing? And he says, yes. And they both fall on on the ground. And of course, you're not supposed to worship angels. They're not God. They're not the Son of God. But they were overawed. And then Jesus said, I've got a task for you and two others, four of you. And I've told you guys, many of you have heard this. I want you to go to the city gates of the great cities of Russia, the Soviet Union at that time, and pray for them that they will be opened to release the Jewish people to go back to Israel. And that's your mission. And he referred to a prophecy in the Old Testament about four craftsmen. You can look that up. Just look, type in the word four craftsmen, and you can find it in your phone. And uh, so they accepted that commission, and so that you can so bringing the whole thing together. What, what I want you to see is what full, came out of the fulfillment of that visit. Those men went to the city gates of Russia, the Soviet Union, and they prayed over the great city gates, Moscow and Leningrad and and Kiev and all those places that were places where there were a lot of Jewish people but who were not being released to go back to Israel. And they just prayed. And when I heard him talk about this, it was 1984. He was telling us the vision he had and said God is preparing a highway for those people to come out of the Soviet Union and go through uh, Europe and come down and end up in Israel. And he has begun to lay on the hearts of people all across that realm to create safe houses for these folks to stop at as they come and get back to Israel. And um, we went to those cities, and we prayed over those gates, and the KGB was having fits following us because they expected us to be like Western spies and thought we were up to no good. And here we are praying at the city gates. They didn't know what to do with us. And that's all we did. We prayed and we went home. Now, you know the rest of the story. In 1989, the Iron Curtain fell. Uh, Glasnost came on the scene. Gorbachev opened up the West, and the Jews started to flood out of the Soviet Union in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, to go back to Israel so that they had to, like, we're, we're so overflowing with no room right now. we got to build new towns. That's one of the reasons that when you read the news about Israel and there's this strife about land, it's because so many have come from around the world, including the Soviet Union, to get back to that land because God is calling them to go back. Now, why did I tell you that whole story? Because it's a modern visitation of an angel who came to prepare the way for the Lord for a mission he had for some of his people to get ready part of his plans that are part of the advancing of his kingdom. Angels are still visiting people. Probably many of you have had an angel visit you weren't even aware of. Or an angel was there to save your butt when you were just about to die. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. 
And we can't necessarily see them unless God wants us to see them. There is a time when He wants us to see them, and then He opens our eyes. So, third incredible thing, not so incredible. Still, people bearing witness that there are creatures God has made that are beyond what we conceive in our little home of dust here on this planet Earth. The fourth thing is, of course, the incarnation. That God would decide to become one of us. You know, you think about it. What's the creature on earth he made to look like him at the beginning? It's us. It's human beings. And he made us pretty incredibly. I was doing a little research on the brain for a project I'm working on. And there are something like a hundred billion neurons in our head, in our brain. And they have the potential, each one, for about a hundred thousand connections to other neurons. That they travel along by these things called axions. Anybody study brain anatomy? Right? Yeah, Jillian, you do. <laughs> Are we? Okay. And so that you get the potential for about a 10,000 trillion pathways just by that. But then it turns out that they've just discovered there's another type of communication going on between the neurons where electromagnetic waves will travel that are not dependent on the axions. And they travel through the brain at different frequencies and overlapping each other without canceling each other out. And it makes for a mind, a brain in the human species that's at least three times the size in terms of connections of our closest animal mm, cognate, whatever you want to call it, the great apes. And out of that comes the possibility of literally an infinite number of possible neuronal connections in our head. Uh, so that scientists will tell you this without, um, and, and they mean it, that the human brain is the most complex object in the known universe. Now, now, when you think about how God made us, and he made us to be a reflection of himself in the earth, knowing that he would one day become one of us because he made us to be like him, right? That's how the incarnation not just can be possible, but how he set it up to make it possible. That we have a mind that's capable of an infinite number of thoughts, of plans, of dreams, of ideas, of goals, and it's all in our head. All this possibility, because all those connections, they can be broken and rearranged and reformed and remade. So you're not just dependent on the 10,000 trillion initial connections, they can keep on reconnecting and they have that other type of uh, extra dimensional communication through that electromagnetic radi radiation. So, think about the wonder of God becoming a baby. It, it turns out that babies in the womb have like a trillion neurons not just a hundred billion, a trillion. And as they grow and develop, the other 900 
billion or so, they get broken down and rearranged and repurposed as the brain develops. And then you get this amazing creature that's capable of speaking, of thinking, of deciding, of creating, of relating, of loving, of choosing, of interacting, of having relationships, of being committed to something, of choosing good or evil. You have this amazing capacity that comes up in us that's a reflection of the God who speaks, who creates, who chooses, who loves, who relates, who desires to relate to us. And he's made that possible by becoming one of us. Now, I just want to close with this, that most people experience suffering after a while in life. If you don't, you're extremely rare. That there's hard things that happen to us as human beings. And some are the result of stupid things we decide to do, evil things we decide to do. Some are because of stupid and evil things other people have done to us. Some are the result of random accidents, right? You just happen to show up when a meteor shower turned, you know, and it was a bad time. Um, and we can, in the midst of that pain and suffering, we can feel pretty despondent. We can feel like giving up or blaming God or saying, you let this happen. Why? It's your fault. We're going to be and stay enemies. We can do that, right? But here's the amazing thing, that in becoming one of us and letting himself go through all that it means to be human, including the worst suffering that we could pour out on each other, letting himself go to the cross and be crucified. He has joined us in our suffering. And not just joined us, he's redeemed us out of it to give meaning to it or to put an end to the meaning that governs and dictates and controls us so that we can get free of it. Now, this one a huge help to me to understand that when I experience disappointment or loss, that Jesus did too. And that he took all the pain of my disappointment and loss on himself. That he bore it on the cross. He was there becoming sin, taking our sin on himself, bearing all the evil that we could pour out on God, taking it on the chin. And not then saying, okay, you had your turn, now it's mine. Right? He turned the other cheek. He said, I'm going to absorb all that to put an end to its control over you. Now, isn't that awesome? That means you can get free of every pain, every disappointment, every injustice, every wrong, every bitterness, every grief, everything that's ever happened to you that's horrible or evil or twisted or perverted or disjointed or a wreck and pour it on Jesus because he took it already on the cross. And it could become effective for you because he's God. And he has the power through his Holy Spirit to transform your brain, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and set you free from that pain. That is the wonder of what the incarnation's goal leads to or led to and is still doing as the kingdom of God grows on earth. 
the kingdom of peace. Surely he has borne our sins and carried our sorrows and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That's the prophet Isaiah, the same one who said he would be born of a virgin. So four incredible things have come true that we celebrate and remember on this Christmas morning that God still sends his messengers to bring good news and to help people in trouble, whether we see them or not. And he still is able to make the barren woman pregnant and cause her to rejoice. There's a promise says somewhere it says the barren woman will have more children than she who could bear. And then there's that third thing. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son who will be called the Son of God. And the fourth thing, his kingdom will last forever. His reign will never end. And, and he invites every one of us to put our faith in him, to put it afresh, or maybe for the first time today, to make him our king, to give him our sorrows and our griefs and our sins in exchange for his joy and comfort and righteousness. That's what he imparts to those who have faith. He gives themselves to him. And may God bless us on this merry, merry Christmas. Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.